People don't care. <laughs> they don't. They don't need to know our names. Well, I think it, every episode is potentially somebody's first episode. Um, That's very optimistic of you. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster, you live in Southern California, specifically San Diego. Cassidy Robinson, you live in Nevada, specifically Las Vegas. I am making fun of you. Yeah, I don't know why I turned into uh, William Shatner at the beginning of the show. So when I first moved to Nevada... For some reason, I, I mean, I know nothing about Nevada geography other than the parts I've driven through. For some reason, I always thought that Reno was like 50 miles from from uh, Las Vegas, that they were like basically the same city. No, they're very far away. No. Yeah. Eight hours apart from each other. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. They're long, long ways. I guess it's because like Did whenever you, you go see- to Reno or something. No, 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 no. I don't know. I was probably uh, talking to somebody or something about Reno or somebody from Reno or something like that. And then they corrected me and let me know, like, oh, no, that's six to eight hours difference. Um, and it's, like, way north. It's, like, closer to San Francisco and those areas. Uh, yeah. But I yeah, I had literally no idea. Because to me, Nevada is basically Las Vegas and then a bunch of desert. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nevada is a pretty bleak state. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of like Mad Max. Uh, yeah. I mean, parts of it are totally Mad Max-y. <laughs> Specifically Thunderdome. If we're going uh, to... I don't know. I could see driving through Nevada and having a giant fucking dust tornado. Oh, you're you're talking about... Uh, Fury Road. Fury Road, yeah. And probably a truck full of women that are being human trafficked. Yeah, that seems very likely, given the current state of affairs. <laughs> current and, uh, and traditional. Um... <clears throat> Well, that was a depressing way to start the show, but let's yeah, let's make uh, <laughs> let's bring up more atrocities for people to think of uh, while we talk about fucking movies. Blah, blah. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about uh, Knives Out, and we're catching up with Parasite, the the movie a lot of people are talking about right now uh, among the award season. And at the end of the show, we are going to be talking about Noah Baumbach's first film. Kicking and Screaming, which is our Netflix homework. Uh, before we get to that, I I was encouraged to pose a question to the listeners from our Facebook page. Follow us on Facebook if you don't already, facebook.com slash MacGuffinPod, and you'll see these survey questions. This week's survey was, what is the best movie you never want to see again? 
Um, I kind of have an answer for this, but we're gonna we're gonna go through everybody else's first weigh in, and then uh, we'll see, we'll see what we have to say. But Thomas Seavers says, "Grave of the Fireflies," which list of shame I've never seen. I've heard oh, it's very sad. See, that is one that I feel like um, I saw in high school. I think. Um, and I thought it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. It was heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, now that I'm like, you know, 15 years removed from it, I yeah. feel like I could watch it again. Actually, it's oh, it okay. is depressing as fuck. But um, yeah, this is a Studio Ghibli film, and it's about uh, kids living through World War II in Japan, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, essentially, yeah. and and just like surviving, and it is. But I mean, the animation is gorgeous, just like you would expect from a, a Studio Ghibli. Um, yeah, yeah. I I do think that I think that's a good answer. Like, I definitely think you need distance between that one. But um, yeah, I feel like that's a maybe twice in your lifetime kind of viewing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Or you 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 live in LA or something, you go to the arrow and see it in a retrospective about like Japan or something. Yeah. that I mean, that could be cool. Uh, yeah. I could see occasions where it would be worth viewing cause it is really mm-hmm. fucking gorgeous, but goddamn, it'll leave you in a funk. <laughs> All right. Uh, Ashley Nicole says the revenant. Uh, that I, I, that's funny. That was one of the first movies I thought about when you posed that question. Cause I was mm-hmm. like, that's a good movie, but, it's not fun at all. <laughs> no, no, it isn't. I'm actually not so sure it's a good movie. That's why I wouldn't uh, have gone to that um, as an answer. It's gorgeous. It's beautifully shot. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I love, like, the the natural lighting and all that. So I, it's a cinematographer's wet dream, basically. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, I don't really care for it. I, I think it's, like, you know, it's a plot. It's a revenge plot. It's sort of whatever. And then it's mostly just watching uh, Leonardo DiCaprio flagellate himself for an hour and a half, or whatever it is, two hours and a half. Um, and like sleeping inside of horses and getting icy and getting attacked by bears. And, and I, I just wasn't into it. I just thought it was, you remember when, um, Passion of the Christ came out yeah. and there was that episode of, uh, of South Park where, it, where there shows them in the theater, but it shows it, you know, their, uh, not their perspective, but like showing them sitting in their seats and you just hear the movie in the background. Ah! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> to me, that was my experience of seeing The Revenant. Yeah, I I think there's a little bit more going on there than you give it credit for, but I <laughs> kind of agree. Uh, like, I actually enjoyed <laughs> it. I was enjoyed mostly it, just grossed out and uncomfortable by the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, <enough. laughs> uh, Brianna Allen says Titanic. Um, this is kind of a strange answer because it's sort of a people pleaser, right? Yeah, I feel like Titanic is pretty poppy i think yeah i mean there were 13 year old girls who saw that 13 times in a day i feel like i have to see it again um one to see if it holds up uh and two just to because it's again it's been so long i think i only saw it the one time um and it's actually one of my wife's favorite movies so i'm surprised i haven't seen it with her i don't think ever so she has um, to wait till you go to work to watch Titanic by herself. 
<laughs> yeah, it's just for um, the drying scene. <laughs> too too um, embarrassing to watch with other people. I'm pretty sure I, I know I saw it in theater uh, when it came out and it was, you know, big deal or whatever. But I think I saw it on TV or on video once after that. Like, yeah, not too I might long have seen after. It, same here. I might have. Or maybe seen like VHS parts of it or, or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I would be. It, I wouldn't mind popping it in and seeing how it looks, you know, from 1997 to 2019 or 2020. Um, I suspect it probably doesn't hold up that well because it's such an effects driven movie and it's pretty melodramatic, yeah. but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't either. I don't, I guess, I guess maybe we should, um, revisit that one at some point. Yeah. Uh, Lucy says Logan. Interesting. I, yeah. I have a feeling you know, why she says that movie. You know, for some people, it might be too sad. But, uh... It's also it, pretty brutal, too. Like, I... It I is. Kinda, it's kind of... It's pretty bleak, but bleakness isn't necessarily like a deal-breaker for me. Sometimes... No. Sometimes I... Like, I want that just wanna, feeling. Yeah, you just want to wallow. Uh, but I, I think the, the thing with Logan, though, is it's so badass... Yeah, that the the badass to, um, you know, thematically difficult is uh, ratioed to where it's still very watchable. I I think so too. I I do think there's a stretch of that where uh, Professor X is just like in a fucking water cooler, freaking yeah, out, with and, and Caliban, like, and yeah, yeah, and it's just that's pretty uncomfortable to watch. <laughs> but once they hit the road, it's it's a blast. Yeah, it's just like. Action set piece after action set piece. Uh, Ted Bondman says, hereditary, no question. Um, you know, that's a decent answer because I I think it's a brilliant film, but I'm like a little nervous to revisit it. <laughs> so I actually just rewatched this over Halloween. Oh, uh, okay. Because, yeah, because I actually had, hadn't seen it. And mm -hmm. I was like, you're going to hate it. It's too scary. Uh and finally, she was like, okay, everybody talks about how good it is. I need to see it. And I watched it, and I was definitely less scared of it because okay. I knew what was coming. Um, sure. I I actually think that Hereditary, I actually think you can appreciate it a lot more on, on multiple viewings because you pick up so many little things that you didn't catch the first time. And, right, um, right. And it's not... And my fear of it, it actually helped my fear of it, uh, kind of, because the stuff that was scary after rewatching it, I was like, oh, that's not so bad. It's, I kind of, I think. You blew it up in your head. Yeah, it's so emotionally driven. Yeah. Um, and this, the scares are kind of unexpected. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and there's a lot going on in the background. So I, I feel like. I don't know. I feel like seeing it a second time demystified it a little bit for me uh, in a good way. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I actually think that one is you're rewarded upon multiple viewings. So how I'm going to have to how did, uh, give you a big did, old disagree, Ted. How did that hold up or how did that uh, affect your wife, though? So I think upon first viewing. <laughs> I maybe had overhyped the scariness of it. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, so I... Because she was like, I mean, she was like, yeah, it's 
creepy, but it's more of a family drama than anything else. And I was like, okay, good. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad it didn't ruin your life like it did for me for a few months there. Right. Yeah. And, you know, there is something to be said about, like, going in as cold as possible, like, knowing very little. And also seeing it in the, you know, the atmosphere of a darkened movie theater. Yeah. Yeah. With Especially, the big sound I saw and all it of that. by myself in theaters, so... Yeah, um, it was not super comfortable, right? With an apparition of one of the actors like staring you down the whole time. Yeah, yeah, uh, so. but yeah, I think that one is <laughs> is a solid rewatch. All right, I'll have to check it out. Uh, Katie Holverson says, "Room," not to be confused with the room, but I think she's talking about the mm. film with uh, with uh, Brie Larson. Brie Larson, yeah. I, that's actually, I think, a really good choice. Uh, yeah. I think that's a solid movie, but it is so miserable. <laughs> <laughs> that movie is not fun at all. Uh, it's I mean, great, it, You know, though. Triumph of the Human Will and all of that stuff. It's not like, I believe me, there's versions of that story that could be much worse. Sure, sure. But there's versions that are much more palatable, like the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, that's, that that's tipping off into the other direction, as far as I'm concerned. But oh yeah, I I I, I loved the room. Um, it you know I was beclemmed whilst watching it. Uh, yeah, I mean I, I haven't seen it since then. Um, I don't. I I could probably watch it again. I mean I I don't I don't think it's that uh upsetting, given okay. the subject matter. I mean, but yeah, I can totally I, understand. I'm like, uh, you know, a, a cis adult white male. So my perspective of that kind of story, you know, a <clears throat> woman being trapped as a sex slave for X amount of years in a in a, in a shed in somebody's backyard um, might hit me differently than, you know, uh, a, another woman. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I, I agree. Uh I don't know. I don't know that I need to see it again, but I think that's a, a, a perfect choice. Like when I think yeah. of good movies that I only want to see once, it's kind of that type of movie. If mm -hmm. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, Brad Page says girl with the dragon tattoo, the David Fincher version. Huh? That's kind of interesting to me because I think kind of similarly with David, I so I haven't seen the original Swedish versions, mm -hmm. um, but to me that one again it has some pretty difficult subject matter. There's some pretty hard <clears throat> yeah. stuff to watch, but I think David. But it's also Fincher, like a pulp detective story. Yeah, and I think David Fincher is really good at delivering that kind of gritty material in a pulpy manner. If that makes mm -hmm. sense. But in a way that you can also, like, take it seriously. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? I, I mean, I am team Swedish version. If, if uh, you know, I saw that version first, and I, I prefer Nomi Rapace in the in the role rather than uh, Rooney Mara. But, yeah, so I, I, uh, I, I you know what? I, I haven't seen the Fincher version that much. I do have it on Blu-ray, but... Um, but you know what I do rewatch pretty often on YouTube? The intro, because it's bad fucking ass. With the <laughs> with the immigrant song as performed by uh Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross and uh uh Karen O. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, speaking of, um, have you been watching Watchmen? No, who watches a Watchmen? Okay, everybody but you. And that, <laughs> that was a dumb joke, and you are shunned for it. Go to the shun corner. Um, so I've heard it's good. I've heard it's, it's good. Yeah, I, I don't want to get too into the weeds on it, but um, I didn't know that Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross do the, did the, were going to do the score for it, and it is mm-hmm. fucking, like, it helps a lot. Um, yeah, they're good at what they do. Yeah, really good. Yeah. Um, okay, Chris Fowler says, and this is the last answer from our listeners, uh, American History X. Yeah, that's a, see, that's a, a lot of- A very understandable are, question, a very uh, uh, answer. Totally. Rather. I I think I might have seen that movie when I was a little too young to, mm-hmm. like, really appreciate it and really understand it. So I feel like, personally, maybe I need to rewatch it, but okay. I- totally get why you wouldn't feel that or like why you would feel the opposite uh right i saw that movie as like an angsty teenager so i definitely watched it a lot at a point in time um and uh i mean it was on ifc all the time and you know yeah uh and i just really loved like the performances and everything in it and i mean generally speaking this is a hard one a hard like survey question for me to answer because i don't resist um, difficult subject matter in the same way that other people do. I mean, there I, I can certainly get squicked out by a movie. Maybe the like the Revenant is out of all of these. It's the hardest for me to th- to think about sitting through again. Um, but uh, and you know, there's certainly there's movies with like fucked up shit in it that I don't necessarily need to see. But um, you know, movies that are just about like hard things or you know difficult subject matter i don't have like a visceral reaction to all the time i you know it i mean it it certainly depends i don't know so my answer for this question Uh if i'm to have one um and i have seen it more than once but i probably am done is uh larry clark's kids okay yeah i haven't seen that one actually that uh harmony kareen wrote um yeah I think you tried to make me watch that once, but I just never. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a movie people should see. I don't actually. I'm not so sure of that anymore. Like at the time, I thought it was very important, and now I'm like, I'm I'm, I'm kind of disturbed by like Larry Clark's obsession with shooting teenagers who very much look like teenagers fucking all the time, and then mm. like you know all of his photography is of like half nude teenagers. So there's like problematic stuff with that movie, um, but it, what's the cool well, thing about it? Especially, especially knowing that you know, like people in Hollywood aren't as uh, you know safe as maybe we might have assumed when we were younger. Like, right? You know, the people people will hide behind the guise of artistry to be able to satiate their own kinks or whatever. Um, yeah. And and I, and it's part of me, and, and this is believe me, this is not like a a new, a newly discovered critique of Larry Clark's work. Like this has been said from the very beginning. But um, you know, when I was watching it as a teenager, I felt less weird about it than seeing it as an adult. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. Like that, you know, the further you get from the ages of the characters in the movie, the more uncomfortable it's it got to be. 
Yeah, and it's, I mean, certainly uncomfortable anyway. Well, I would say the one thing that's undeniable about it is Larry Clark has a has a, a way of making this sort of documentary realism uh, that uh, is just, you know, totally believable. Even though, like, Rosario Dars- Dawson and, and, and Chloe Sevigny are in the movie and you know they're actors and stuff, um, it just feels so fucking real. And, like, he captures performances that just feel lived in and real like like they're not actors at all um and so there is definitely a lot of skill behind the movie uh but yeah i don't think i think i'm done i think i'm done with that one <laughs> fair enough uh yeah, i think that's i think that's a good answer um again i haven't seen that one so uh i can't speak to that necessarily mm-hmm. um okay i actually have a few possible ones here um that i'll just i'll give some honorable mentions um uh we talked about this a a few weeks ago um but i i think our reasoning still stands um i don't think i need to see gravity again just because it was such a theatrical spectacle oh um, interesting okay so yeah that's an interesting answer because i think everyone's mind like when going for this is like what's something fucked up. Um, yeah, but or yours is difficult. more specifically like, it's just a one-time experience. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, maybe there might be some screening, you know, 10 years anniversary kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I saw it get the IMAX. 3d and all of it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think it was just like sort of a very of that time sort of movie. And yeah. I just, I don't need to watch that at home. I just, I don't think I'm going to get anything out of it that I didn't get through my um, first experiences with it. Uh, I, I, I totally agree with that, actually. Um, and the big one is is kind of a, a, it's kind of along the lines as, you know, the uh, what other people have mentioned, but 12 Years a Slave. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. It's a great movie. The performances are solid. Um, but I just, I don't feel like I need to watch it again. I'm glad I saw it, but, mm. um, you know, it's yeah. not, it's it, also, I think something that goes into this type of movie that, you know, is good. You recognize it being good. Um, I think something that affects that hugely is runtime and pacing. Sure. Um, you know, long movies that, feel that where you feel the full two hours or two and a half hours, those are the ones I'm less likely to revisit. Uh, You know, whereas something like Avengers, that's three hours long. uh, You know, you don't feel it because most of that is an action set piece or whatever. Um, So it makes it a lot more rewatchable. Whereas, you know, a lot of these sort of prestige pictures, uh, you feel the length a lot more. Um, yeah, no, for sure. And uh, I mean, it it depends. Like there are some directors, oh, totally. who, you know, who I can watch Goodfellas every day for the rest of the year. But um, and it's not a short film. But uh, yeah, no, I know what you're saying. Like for sure. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, I I think Martin Scorsese has a reputation for a reason. Because, you know, his movies are so watchable. 
Um, right. Even when they deal and with And he indulges set pieces, even though he's not totally. making like giant exploding robots. His movies are full of set pieces. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think that's kind of usually my answer is, what did I see that was only two hours but felt like four hours? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think with 12 Years a Slave, for me, the reason why it's kind of a one-time experience um, is because the nature of the story is, like, essentially it's a message delivery system. Sure, yeah. And once you've taken that in, like, I, it, it almost is – that's a problem with those kind of movies. And I'm not saying, like, movies shouldn't be about things, but – when they're so singularly about something, um, in the case of 12 Years a Slave, like, you know, uh, the tragedy of American racism. Well, specifically American slavery. American slavery, yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, obviously, there's more to it than just that, but yeah. that's powerful and that is you know it is relevant and it's a story that should be told i'm not yeah i'm not i'm not discounting that what i'm saying is like movies that are essentially message movies and that's why once as a genre message movies are like not my favorite is that Mm. uh they uh it's 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 it's, you know it's kind of like uh getting a vaccine yeah it's sort of like a a vaccine you you only you only get it once or maybe twice in your life (laughs) sure or or once every 10 years or whatever Uh, And and the sad reality is the people who need that message are the ones who are least likely to see the movie. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Okay. Let's go ahead and get into our movies. That's enough virtue signaling from us. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, What do you want to start with? Let's start with Knives Out. Yeah, that's that's let's start with Knives Out and I'll let you set that up. What is happening in Knives Out? Um, okay, so Knives Out is patriarch of a family, um, played by Christopher Plummer, uh, is dead, uh, and there is- Mysteriously so. There is some question as to what, you know, if that's actually the case, so the police are are investigating it, and uh, as they're investigating his murder, uh, there is a private detective- who has come along uh, for further investigation. Um, he interviews the family. He... Okay, so this it's kind of hard to set up. Uh, I know I say that a lot, um, <laughs> but it's, it's a murder mystery, but it's sort of a murder mystery in reverse. Uh, sure. And, yeah, so there's a lot of uh, eccentric characters in this family. Yeah. And essentially... The plot boils down to, um, you know, will uh, Benoit Blanc, played by Daniel Craig, be able to discover, you know, who the true murderer is? Um, And along with that, there is a a caretaker for Christopher Blummer's character, who I can't remember the name of, um, Thromby, Harlan Thromby, who is like a mystery writer and yeah. uh, he had a caretaker that was very close to him. Is it is this is this a spoiler? Am I getting to into spoiler territory? I think you're getting close. Yeah. Okay, I guess I'll I just mean, leave it at 
that. And the, the, essentially, like the the energy that's sort of floating around this this who done it is that there's a lot of money in this family, and everybody in the family feels sort of entitled to it, um, yes. as well as like the fortune of this writer's uh, uh, catalog that he's been working on. His son, his oldest son in particular, um, has a lot of stakes into the uh, the ownership of the characters and the rights to his books. And so, you know, Knives Out is obviously sort of a, a double entendre because there's there's uh, stabbings and stuff in the movie. But it's also about how the family is sort of turning on each other to see who's going to gain this fortune and who is uh, who of them is the most culpable in, in, a, in a crime like this. Yes. Yeah. So, again, I, I know I hate saying this, but I still feel like I'm going to give this warning. Um, because of the, just the very nature of a murder mystery, mm-hmm. it is, it is very difficult to discuss the plot or to discuss the movie specifics. Cause I have things to say. Sure. Obviously. So, I mean, generally speaking, I, I enjoyed the movie a lot and I thought like, and this is, uh, you know, I talked about not too long ago when we had Josh on the show, how like, uh, it seems like Hollywood's itching to do another Clue movie because there's all these like Clue esque movies that keep coming out. Totally. Um, and, and I said I said that around the time we saw Ready or Not, which has similar themes, and when we saw uh, Bad Times at the El Royale, which is like another big ensemble m- mystery. Um, yeah, and, and, and this one is probably the most directly clue-esque in a way in fact i think they make a joke about that about how the you know the man lives the how, in the clue yeah. mansion um and uh, i think there's a lot of I, ryan johnson wrote and directed this uh, who uh you know he's done a lot of different genre films uh brick usually he he tends Looper. to do more along like the noir sci-fi um route so this this is i think one of his more um grounded Movie, mm-hmm. uh, stories as as far as um, yeah, I mean he also did the comedy Brothers Bloom, which I've never seen, but no, I um, never saw that one either. Yeah, that was like in between his noirs. So but, I mentioned earlier uh, that this is sort of a murder mystery in reverse, and I think for me that is both one of this movie's biggest strengths and also kind of one of its flaws. Okay, um, I think it, it's really. It was really fun to go into it, and whatever mystery that there is is sort of resolved in the first act, um, as far as like who the actual murderer is and and that sort of thing. Kind of. Well, yeah. I mean, there's there's more to it. There's twists, but yeah. Uh, in and then I think is something that was a lot of fun was it's like I'm going into this expecting a murder mystery, and then it's like, oh no, it's not a murder mystery. But then by the end it still is a murder mystery and they still play all of those beats, which is for, which was for me really fun to just like experience a murder mystery without the pressure of feeling like I have to solve it. Right. And I think that another strength of this movie is that there are so many fucking good. I mean, the cast is stacked and yes. they they all have really fun characters to play, and they're all 
they're all chewing scenery at every opportunity. Um, yes, and there is a, there is like a, and I would say this is a big departure for Ryan Johnson as well. There is kind of a layer of camp yeah. on top of all of this that allows for those actors to play a big um, and to uh, kind of live in this uh, heightened reality. The the but I also think that that becomes sort of a it became sort of a frustrating point for me in the movie because um, a lot most of the movie is is seen through this one character Marta um, this caretaker figure through her perspective yeah who and so f- funnily enough is probably the least famous person in the movie played by Anna de Armas also um, definitely I think the least interesting. Uh, character and and it's a little frustrating to me because the movie sort of gets away from the rest of the family for like a solid chunk in the middle hmm. and I feel like I feel I wanted to see more of these characters and see them become worse because it's you know a big chunk of the the idea is that these characters are all very selfish hmm. and uh and they you know, they're lazy and they sort of uh, are just writing on this patriarchs. They're just writing off of his name. And, and, and that's true, but I wanted it to get a little more, I guess I just wanted to see the family like backstab each other a little bit more and mm. see those character dynamics play out a little bit more. Cause I feel like we're introduced to them at the beginning and it's like a really fun setup of like everybody sort of has a, a their own motive and stuff. But then we sort of get away from that and they're all they all just sort of end up on the same side as each other. And I, right. I wanted to see them, I guess, interact a little more in different ways, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I kind of get what you're saying. And, and I think maybe... There's two contributing factors to why you or other people might have been disappointed in that way. One is the cast. They're so they're so big. They're so famous. Um, I mean, I'll read off some names um, yeah. of, uh, who's in this movie because everyone's in this movie. Uh, Chris Evans, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Don Johnson, Tony Collette, uh, Lakeith Stanfield, oh, I, among others. I, uh, along those lines, I think Lakeith Stanfield was totally wasted in this movie. Oh, I agree too. I I, I um, feel like I would just, say he of all of the movie was was the most underwritten. Yeah, and just he's such a good actor too that it felt like a shame that you know his purpose is basically just to set up some exposition and then he he pops in every once in a while but yeah, yeah. they don't really do much with his character beyond that which yeah he, he plays a, an investigator in the movie but um yeah so i think that's one of the reasons is because we see this big cast and you know the way the the movie was marketed it was going to be like this like free for all between all of them and it's kind of not what really happens and I, and I think it's because largely what Ryan Johnson is trying to do here is upend and subvert the whodunit yes. narrative. Um, and I, you know, subvert I think it pays it off. I think eventually, especially towards the third act, um, once things start to get revealed and we get more and more information about all of these characters and their, their kind of place in the puzzle, um, then I think all of them start to get, uh, activated 
all these different characters in, within the plot a little bit more. Um, but I actually liked the Marta character, and I really liked her place in this because I think there's another thing going on outside of the genre stuff, which is Ryan Johnson's actually trying to say a lot of things about. Oh um, yeah, and it is about not what, subtle. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I, you know, one of the things uh, I I thought about uh, after seeing this movie is like the last film Ryan Johnson did was the uh, the Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. which brought upon the ire of uh, Star Wars fans generally, um, but also sort of the alt-right 4chan trolls. Um, and I think he had to deal with a lot of uh, garbage coming out yeah. of that experience. And I think you can feel the anger from that experience in this film. Specifically, <laughs> as he doesn't dis- even feel angry necessarily but he, he's definitely like taking some shots but it, it doesn't it doesn't yeah. feel m- malicious it feels like no i actually think because we see at one point um you know probably the most like overt uh political commentary in the movie is we see uh you know marta is there she's an immigrant from chile i believe or Argentina. <laughs> they they, ne- they never uh, they're never totally clear. Every it, it's actually one of my yeah. favorite running <laughs> gags is uh, every time a family member mentions where she's from, they they mention a different a different country. Okay, which is yeah. why I can't remember. Yes, yeah. So, I don't think they ever actually say where she's where she's from. Yeah. So yeah. she's standing there a pay as a paid person who's taking care of their father, watching a, a discussion amongst um you know some of the older and younger members of this family um about immigration policy and the oh you know, god the, yeah that the cages is- at the border and that it's very real i mean given given like how heightened and kind of over the top a lot of this movie is that scene is real as fuck and the, you know they invite her in to kind of like weigh in and of course she like so really can't and- say anything <laughs> yeah. yeah um in that position uh and so i i that, you know, and then there's a lot of discussion about, like, um, deportation in this movie. There's a lot of discussion about, mm-hmm. you know, just class politics in general. Uh, and, yeah, that that's all kind of weaved into what is basically a very uh, traditional Hitchcockian kind of whodunit mystery uh, going through. Yes. Yeah. And, and again, I think... I don't know. There was just something about it that I wanted. I felt like there were just some plot threads with those characters that never got fully resolved or or not in ways that I found particularly interesting. But that's really not what the movie's about. Mm-hmm. And and ultimately, uh, like I had a few nitpicky things, too, with like some of the logic of the movie is a little a little skewed as far as like the actual details of the murder. Uh, we're definitely dealing with. Yeah. I mean, it, it's Hollywood one of those kind of logic. Sure. Like things would only have to line up exactly perfect in certain ways for any of this to happen. But I think that's kind of the world we're in is a world yes. where it, where this could happen. It's like, it's, it's definitely it's, a, a heightened reality. Uh, yeah. and, and ultimately, uh, what it was trying to get at was I think this movie is just so much damn fun yeah. that I kind of let a lot of those things go. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I definitely let go, like, I I was having such a good time that uh, there were a few things that I didn't sort of come back to until after the movie was done. That I was yeah. like, oh, mm, I feel like that might have been a missed opportunity. Or, oh, I kind of wish maybe this had played out a little differently. Or, that was a little silly. Uh, <laughs> um, right. Uh, but but again, I think what I think works the movie here, is is uh, is acutely aware that it's silly. Yes, and and that I it's, think it's all like ridiculous. I think the movie is perfectly comfortable with being ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's like one step uh one step closer to reality than the movie Clue. Yeah. But, uh, uh, it's, yeah, it's not as broad of a comedy as Clue, but it is. Yeah, largely because of the satirical aspects. Yeah, and I think that, um, that the direction is so confident Mm -hmm. and the characters are so well done, um, through the acting and the direction that I was a little more forgiving of what I saw as some, like, scripty plot hole stuff. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Like, I think it was it was some scripting things that I was like eh, I don't know about that, but it's directed with such glee, uh, yeah. and the characters are just in a playground of over the top, large in life characters that I I was while I was watching the movie, it was very easy for me to let go of those sort of logical fallacies. Yeah. Yeah, I never, I mean, I wasn't too concerned with logic through most of the movie because I understood kind of what playground we're in, what genre, um, and the movie's, mo- it's, it's largely a movie about genre. Um, I mean, yes. give it, you know, the guy, the patriarch of the family writes murder mysteries and then he's basically living out one or, you know, not living well, out yeah, one because he's dying out one, I guess. Yes. <laughs> um, so, uh, the, there's a, the, the only thing that I, really was a little like let down about is uh the chris evans character his name is Mm -hmm. um uh ransom Mm -hmm. um and uh he's one of those characters who's talked about a lot before we are formally introduced to him Mm -hmm. and i think when he enters the movie there's he's i think that performance is supposed to hit differently than it actually does i think he actually plays it too calm too I think relatable. He, too relatable. I think he actually should have been bigger in the movie. And and I think Chris Evans is capable of that. We've I seen actually, him. I think he's cast fine, but I think that his direction um in the film he doesn't like come and knock down the door and like take over the scene in the way that I think he was supposed to. I kind of agree with you, but to me I think the problem was because I agree, I think there's. I was getting a little too much Steve Rogers and not enough his character from Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, or or the losers, or 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 whatever. What happened? Yeah, or, yeah. Or, uh, I I think part of the problem is I think he's sort of introduced a little too late into the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, like he's sort of a peripheral character up until he's not. <laughs> right. And, There's and a particularly right. long fuse to the introduction of that character. And I think either the fuse needed to be shortened or there needed to be a bigger explosion. Exactly. I'm yeah. on team bigger explosion. Um, uh, I, I'm on team either way. I just think that I I do agree with you that he he 
it's a little bit of a problem that he's not outpacing like Tony Collette, who exactly is fucking goddamn. She is just a re- a revelation. She is yeah, she's so great fucking in everything. fun. Uh, and um, not not to say that you know Jamie Lee Curtis, Don Johnson, Michael Shannon, they're all great too. But to me, she was kind of a show stealer, and I think that that's what Chris Evans' character needed to be. Yeah, at least for like one scene, like the the introduction scene of his character. I wanted to see him kind of like we've heard about this character for so for so long. Everyone talks about him as being this rebel and outsider and whatever. And then he kind of come and 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 uh, plays it cool. And yeah. I, I just thought that was sort of the wrong take for that character. But I think largely he serves the function of the plot just fine. Um, sure. The other character who I thought they could have done a little bit more with, especially given uh, Ryan Johnson's um, like history with like the internet trolls and stuff like that, is that character played by Jaden Martell, the kid from It. Um, oh, he's- I- He's supposed to play like a four chan troll or something in the movie. Like everyone calls him a Nazi, and he looks exactly like a teenage uh, Ben Shapiro. Yeah, and so I was like, "Oh, you could have a lot of fucking fun with that. You could give him like all of this like motormouth Ben Shapiro dialogue. Like just just transcribe one of his podcasts <laughs> into this kid's mouth and." And that doesn't happen. I'm actually a little glad they didn't, just because I fucking hate Ben Shapiro, and I don't know. No, I know, but I mean, like, in the context of the movie and the way that everyone's talking about him and stuff, you you know, I was just expecting a little bit more out of that character, and I almost wonder if he had more to do in the movie, and it just didn't make it into the final cut. Um, Uh, I I actually was okay with it, because, I mean, he's just sort of a, a teenager on his phone the whole time. Right, yeah. Like, that type of person, their ire is usually saved for online diatribes, and you don't see as much of it in real life. So, to me, that that wasn't really a problem. I did think um, the girl, Marta's friend, um, I think they could have... Oh, the cousin? The cousin of the family or whatever? Yeah, I think they could have Who's, like, the one lone, like, woke liberal or whatever? And she's kind of... Like, uh, around the same age as Marta, and they're, like, friends. Like, yeah. I think that that they could have twisted the knife a little bit more there, pun completely intended. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I felt like, <laughs> although, uh, uh, okay, this, a little spoilery here. Um, but it, this was just such a fun, uh, moment that I had in the theater, yeah, uh, we were watching it, and she has sort of a, a. They have a conversation on the phone, and the girl like reveals that you know maybe she's not as as nice as. Uh, yeah, that she as, is in fact corruptible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the when when that monologue was given, there was someone in the theater who was cartoonishly shocked. He <laughs> like. Literally, uh, and it wasn't, there weren't that many people in the theater when we saw it, and their mind was fucking blown. I can't, I can't even remember. It wasn't even a word. It was just like, <gasps> it was so cartoon, but it was, sounded very genuine at the same time that yeah. I laughed for like a solid minute. Uh, like I, I missed some of the movie because I was laughing so hard at this guy right. who just went, Bleh. Um, yeah, but um, I, 
yeah, and that, I, I mean, like, again, that's some of my favorite stuff in the movie. I mean, I, I mean, the, the the plot dynamics are fun, and I like the genre stuff, and I like the the uh, the way he bends convention and all of the, and all of those things. But I, I actually appreciated that on top of you know just working as a genre film, it also did have something to say. Um, yeah, and it's, I agree it's with very that. of the time and very of the moment uh, in in that regard. But what did we think, uh, you know, overall of uh, Knives Out? So you know, grade wise. Yeah, uh, I mean, overall, like I said, there were a few things that sort of stuck out, or that I noticed more after I watched the movie. But I think this mm-hmm. movie is just so much fun. As like this is a popcorn movie. This is sort of like the yeah. definition of a popcorn movie. In so a very I'm traditional gonna, way, too. Yeah, so I'm going to give it a solid B+. Yeah, I would give it the same. Cool. We're in agreement. I would give it the same. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's go ahead and move on now to the film Parasite. That's uh, right. This is the... It's been a, a couple weeks, so you guys are getting some extra review juice. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I definitely wanted to see this because... Uh, this came out of the Cannes Film Festival, uh, shrouded in award stock, and I might have won the Palme d'Or, I'm not sure, um, and uh, opened here. And what was interesting to me is that this was this was a film that was being seen by people who don't normally see, like, Asian extreme cinema. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah. uh, Bong Joon-ho films and that kind of thing. So um, it was, you know, getting a decent amount of buzz, and I, I was interested in seeing it anyway, being a Bong Joon-ho fan director of uh uh, we did uh, oakjaw uh i think it might have been last year the year before um also did the 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 korean host and uh memories of murder didn't he do snowpiercer snowpiercer yes is snowpiercer Um, his only well i guess oakjaw was partially english language yeah 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 snowpiercer was a was a co-production oh okay yeah, so that was like some Korean uh, money involved, and then like uh, dis- distribution in America and that kind of thing. So what uh, this film is about is uh, a, a poor family who live on you know sort of the the rougher side of uh, their city in in uh, South Korea, and they're trying to keep a family business open, like a pizza joint. Um, they live in like a, a basement apartment that floods. Uh, well, you, and they, every every day they have that, to see uh, like uh, you know transients and stuff like pissing on their side of their house. We we also get the sense um, not just that they're like doing a family business, but they're kind of hustlers. Like yeah, you know they're stealing Wi Fi. They're just sort of making, sort of taking every advantage that they can that comes along their way. Right. Absolutely. Uh, one of them finds out, a, the, a young uh, young male in the family finds out that a friend of his um, who had been tutoring um, uh, a girl, a teenage girl in a rich family on the other side of town uh, is going to be leaving and that position will be opening and his friend says, well, hey, you, you, know, you might as well come in and uh, um, interview for this position and e- even though you've never been to college and you didn't, you know, you don't come from like a high class thing. You can, you can fake it well enough and uh, you're smart enough. You can, you can definitely get this job. So he eventually gets the job, lies on his resume, uh, has a sister Photoshop him fake credentials. And uh, while he's there um, tutoring this girl, he realizes there's all these other positions in the, uh, you know, the different, 
the help um, of this family, whether drivers or or uh, caretakers and cooks and things like that, that he could possibly sneak the rest of his family in to be <laughs> making a butt ton of money um, from this uh, sort of naive rich family. And, you know, systematically, that's what they do. They find ways to get them all uh, jobs uh, in working for this family. And, of course, they're all lying and they have to pretend like they don't know each other, let alone are related to each other. Um, and there's a midway point in the movie. This is kind of another movie with a lot of twists and reveals um, where uh, things complicate uh, this uh, scheme of theirs. <laughs> <laughs> and again, before we go too into it, I think that this movie is definitely benefited from like the less, the less you, know, you know going in, yeah. The the more the twists are gonna be like, wait, what <laughs> the fuck? Um, right. And I'll tell you this: I knew so little about the film that I thought, and you know, given that it's Bong Joon Ho who does a lot of like genre films mm -hmm. um, and science fiction. I thought it was a sci-fi movie about parasites. <laughs> like, I, I, I did yeah, not I know anything about I legitimately had this. no idea what it was about. I, I, right. I was, I was sort of prepared for that, but I also like all I knew from this movie was the poster. I had seen the poster, and I, I was able to like once you see sort of the con, the the family conning this other family, like. Yeah. At that point, I was sort of able to to sort of figure out what the movie was sort of about. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I I agree. I didn't know shit about this going into it, and right. I think that definitely enhanced my experience. Yes. Um. So if you want to have, I think the best way of watching this movie, if you have yet to see it, stop listening to this review now. Um, and but, just go watch it. And yeah. just just go see it. Um, but, I, yeah, this movie is kind of a ride and a pretty wild <laughs> one at that. Yeah. And, it, you know, on speaking of genre, because this is probably the the least genre-specific movie I've seen Bong Joon-ho do. Um, yeah, I guess Because so. usually he's pretty, like, you know, pretty sci-fi. Or in the case of Memories of Murder, it's like a, it's kind of like a, a Fincher-style uh, detective film. Um and here he's kind of being a little bit more playful with genre. So, you know, he has a, he has a definitely kind of a biting satirical black comedy, um, aspect of all of his films. But I think that kind of takes center stage here. Um, and he, and like all of his films, and one of the reasons why he's one of my favorite of the like, uh, Korean directors who's crossed over, his stuff is very political. Uh, and he's able to chew gum and, uh, uh, what's the walk and chew bubble gum at the same time? Yeah. Um, because it's, it's very political, but it's also very human. Um, yeah. I think he, and he very does, funny. Yeah. He does a really good job of, um, making these characters relatable and, and funny and charming and, mm -hmm. you know, like you want to see this family succeed. But they're um, also but kind of despicable. Like, you know, well, like, so that's, I think one of the strengths of this movie is nobody's totally, it's not black and white. Like, uh, uh like a satire like this typically is right. Um, like, you know the the rich family 
is ignorant. They're ignorant as fuck, but they're still likable. And the 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 main characters are conniving and lying and and stuff, but they're also still likable. Like it. Yeah. That's what I mean when I say it's very human. Is it? There's not bad guys in this movie, you know. Yeah. But he doesn't judge any of the characters. He kind no. of lets them. He kind of lets them exist in the situation that he set up. Well, he and definitely so, judges the the situation. He definitely judges the, the sure. system that these characters live in. But uh, mm-hmm. the characters themselves, they're all just kind of doing their best. Yeah, and that's what makes it. Uh, uh, you know, there's also elements of tragedy in this, and when that happens, mm-hmm. it, it makes it. I feel all the more tragic because it's like you you're able to see the ways this world is broken that the characters can't or that they might not be able to do anything about. Yeah, it's very tragic in the classic sense where they are, uh, you know, put on the trajectory of, of failure um, um, without their without their knowledge. But the plot certainly knows where this is all going. Yeah, yeah. And it is uh, unrelenting <laughs> as yeah. far as that goes. Uh, it's yeah, um, it's funny too because as I was watching it, it seems like it's gonna be a, a comedy, you know, kind of like a, a like a more domestic Ocean's Eleven or so, almost like a heist movie. Like you yeah, feel it, like these characters are getting kind away. Of is. Yeah, and and yeah. through a good chunk of the movie, that's what it is, and in like the first half at least. Yeah, and. Then, and you know, it's like, oh, how are they going to figure out how to get the dad a job? And how, oh, how are they going to get rid of the housekeeper to get the mom a job? And it it, it plays out like a a heist film. And then it goes fucking nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I loved it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was here for it. Once this... Once this movie fucking drops the other shoe, it drops it. Yeah, it it, it and it's it's almost kind of um, surprising to me that uh, sort of the uh, critical body and um, you know sort of the prestige film crowd has taken to this movie as much as they have because I feel like it's um, I mean it's it's quite dark and it's mm-hmm. it, it is. It is very playful, but it's also, it's also, how do I want to put this? Okay, there's, there's two words I think of. Um, I mean, I feel like the stories, the story structure is pretty non-traditional. Yes. Um, Like, it feels like you're following one trajectory, and then it literally, it becomes a different movie. Yeah, it kind of pulls the rug out. And the other thing I would say about it is it's pretty indicting. Um, yeah, like this movie is, like you said, it's a very political. It is calling a shot. It is straight up uh, uh, an indictment of the classist uh, capitalist systems mm-hmm. that are in place. And you know, I I don't I don't know enough about Korean politics to speak to that. But oh, it honestly. <laughs> Huh? It travels. Like, yeah, I, honestly, I think, I think those themes are are pretty universal. It, well, 
Yeah. I, I was going to say this. It feels very American uh, mm-hmm. in in the specific class struggles that they're dealing with. Yeah. Um, and I came out of the movie like I really enjoyed it, but I also felt pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> like I was just like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, and, and I, I think that was totally intentional. There, there is a sequence in particular that I can talk about where without getting too in the mires of the, the plot specifics. Um, okay. But uh, essentially you see this event of this rainstorm yeah. um, from the uh, rich family's perspective with the, a young boy really excited by the rain and, and the family comes home from a ruined camping trip and, and uh, he puts a teepee up outside in their big yard and, and, and enjoys it. And the, the family, you know, watches the rain as they go to sleep on the couch. Mm. And then you see the the poor family, the poor part of town, and it gets totally flooded with sewer water. Uh, yep. They have to sit on a toilet that's spewing shit uh, yeah. to, to keep it from getting everywhere. And they end up... Uh, you know, in a gymnasium with hundreds, if not a thousand something people, yeah. uh, you know, who are fighting for clothes. Yeah. Uh, Wrapped in like mylar sheets. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think, you know, that talk about show don't tell like mm-hmm. because the, the movie never specifically addresses this. They never talk about the class system. It's just no. it's just how, you know, who the characters are. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I think the, the the fact that the movie never judges anybody, but but judges everybody at the same time, yeah, um, is uh, is what makes it distinctly not American. Because I think yeah. uh, the American version of this film would be a lot more like bludgeoning, um, and would would be a lot less subtle about those kind of things. Um, yeah, you're you're probably right there. <laughs> but yeah, I I greatly enjoyed this movie and. I mean, I think it, it you know, it, it stacks up right alongside uh, the great um, current Korean cinema that's been going on for the last 15 or, you know, 20 years or so. Um, and I think if you've been following the sort of the trends uh, that comes out of South Korea and what, you know, specifically these handful of directors have done, um, there's no reason you should dislike this at all. I think it's, you know, among the best. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, for me, this is an A. I, I really did like it. Oh, I, I agree. I, like I said, this movie, like you said, this movie's a ride. Like, yeah. it's, it's thoroughly, uh, enjoyable. It's very entertaining. Um, but at the same time, actually is saying some real shit. Uh, yeah. And delivers one of the most intense scenes I've seen in a long time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like insane uh where this movie goes so i yeah i agree i give this an a and it's also really like really well acted i I think a lot of american uh a lot of americans who are not watch a lot of asian cinema or a lot of like foreign cinema have a harder time connecting with characters because the cultural things or you know like the language barrier and things like that or your eyes Mm -hmm. are always looking down at the dialogue and not looking at the performance always um but i think 
uh, one of the, another one of the things that Bong Joon Ho is really good at is writing very specific characters who, uh, yeah. and directing, um, his, his actors to, uh, to use the entire scenery. Oh yeah. I think especially in this case, um, yeah. because I, it, yeah, I think because it's, it has to do a lot less of the world building, yeah. um, that he typically is doing in his movies that it's, I think maybe the characters are a little bit freer in yeah. than some of his other work where, you know, they just sort of get to exist in this, in this world because it, it's a lot more real. Um, and, yeah. and so I think, you know, maybe there's a little bit more relatability, but, but you're right. Like his other, his other work, I do think that is something he's good at is writing, uh, you know, really compelling, relatable, emotional human characters. Cool. Well, yeah, I mean, I, this movie is getting around and it's uh, opening wider and wider. So if you have a chance to see Parasite, please do so. Okay, we'll finish up here with our Netflix homework, and this is the uh, the film Kicking and Screaming, which was Noah Baumbach's uh, first directorial effort, I think 1995, right? Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's somewhere in the 90s for fucking sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, 1995, I was, I was uh, correct. So go ahead and what's going on here? God, not much. <laughs> um... <laughs> Basically, it is a group of uh, college graduates. They just graduated college and they don't know what to do with their lives. So they're just kind of hanging out. Uh, and, and the main character, um, Grover, god damn, it's <laughs> fucking Grover. Uh, he, he is reeling from um, uh, a recent breakup. Uh, you know, probably the first like real adult relationship he's, he's been in. Um, and, and she, you know, wants to move on after college. She moves to Prague. I can't remember Prague. That's right. Um, and he, he doesn't want to. Um, and so that's sort of the main story is, Mm -hmm. is him sort of getting over this relationship. But, uh, but really it's just, some people hanging out. Yeah, it's kind of um like I said this is Noah Baumbach's first film and you can really tell and it's uh it's it's recognizably him, I'll say that. Like yeah. you you can see that this is the guy who would later go on to do Squid and the Whale or the Marowitz family or what have or you. Gr- Greenberg uh specifically. It's yeah. funny he uh I think there was even a char- like somebody even references a Greenberg family. Which I thought was kind of fun. Oh, that is funny. Maybe there's like a yeah, like Tarantinian universe going on here that we're not the, aware of. The Noah Bombacaverse. Yeah, right. Oh, God, that is a miserable place. <laughs> <laughs> Just filled with ennui. Yeah. <laughs> oh, exactly. So I and I think that um, you know, he, he's never been shy about his influences, but I think he's really very beholden to him here. So we're getting a lot of uh, Whit Stillman, um, specifically the, the early films of Whit Stillman is, is, uh, highly informing this movie, including some of the actors who show up in his films. Um, and, uh, Woody Allen, of course, uh, there's a lot of Woody Allen here and, um, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of a link later hangout movie thing kind of going on here too. I, I don't think, 
I think he was probably too contemporary with Kevin Smith to be directly influenced, but I you there's obviously a similar vibe between this and Clerks, but this sure. is Sure. Like, I mean this is sort of that 90s This is slacker. like the pre- yeah, this is like yeah. the prep school version of that versus yeah. the total slacker. This is right. about the people who waste their potential versus the people who never had any potential. Um, yes. But, I, you know, I, I guess the most I could say about this movie is uh, it's definitely in conversation with that mid-90s angst period, like slacker. Sure. or a Gen uh, X-y. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, uh, singles. Um, you know, it, yeah. honestly, this movie. I haven't seen singles since we fucking watched it in high school. Probably, uh, yeah. But to me, I was getting like I sort of felt the same about this that I felt about singles. Like it's just, it's just kind of a a bunch of it's just kind of a bunch of white people complaining for two hours. <laughs> uh, yeah. Here and here's the thing. I don't want to be too grumpy about the fact that there is no plot in this. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, it, it is. I think it's meant to be more of a time capsule, um, kind of thing. But after a while, like all these characters are pretty irritating. Mm-hmm. Um, versus like a Kevin Smith where he he's going for broad comedy and clerks, right? And yeah. in this, he's trying to make it real or at least feel real. But because of that, it's not terribly entertaining. Um, I didn't think it was particularly funny. There were a couple moments, you know, that, mm-hmm. that were fine. But it, like you said, it definitely feels like a first movie. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you can definitely see the potential in in the film here. And I'm interested in that aspect of it, maybe alone. Um, I think that, uh, you know, there's a young talent here, uh, but it is, um, a little, uh, undefined at this point. And, uh, uh, certainly doesn't, he's not, he hasn't like sharpened his, his targets yet. Like, you know, Noah Baumbach has never like had, like, I've always thought of him as like being like the, the darker, Wes Anderson. Um, and the two have diverged in style more and more as their careers have gone. Um, mm. uh, there was a point in time when they were working together and stuff where they were like kind of, kind of a little closer. And now they're kind of doing two different things. Um, but, you know, at this point, um, you know, he's always kind of like had less of a uh, fondness for humanity. <laughs> and and he, he likes writing difficult characters who are not necessarily likable. Um, and, uh, I think that stretches pretty thin here, but I will say, I think there are some actors who play with this dialogue a little more naturally than others. I think Josh Hamilton, who plays the lead character Grover has the hardest time with it, which I like Josh Hamilton, but I think generally speaking, he works better as a nice guy. I, when he's kind of a jerk, it I, I kind of don't believe it. And, I, no, and I, he also it, the dialogue doesn't really sound as natural coming out of his mouth. Yeah, he he comes. I agree with you there. I think um, as opposed to Chris e- uh, Eichelman, who was in the Whit Stillman movies, this is very second nature to him. I hundred percent believe that character. Which one is he? 
Um, that's the other thing. Like all the characters were just, I kind of hated them all. Um, uh, he plays Max, the one who, uh, uh, the the one that's a complete miserable fucking turd. Yeah. He's probably the the worst of the bunch, but I think he, I think he plays, uh, he feels very natural in the role, whereas others less so. Um, yes, no, I, uh, the performance is good. The character is intolerable. Yes. Uh, but but he's I think he's meant to be like he, he you know he um yeah I I agree with you there o- honestly the I like thing- Eric Stoltz as kind of this movie's this movie's uh, uh Matthew McConaughey in yeah. uh, Days and Confused um but uh, but but like so casual I I yeah. actually did enjoy how casual he was he's just like yeah you know whatever <laughs> I'm just yeah I I dated you know I just keep dating girls uh, undergrads like it's <laughs> right it's and so it's, casual it's weird he's he's, um, he's in the middle of like five different majors or something because he never wants to graduate yeah yeah uh, so there's there's funny stuff in it there's there's a lot of like funny bits but in the movie to me feels like just a series of bits yeah like, and, and none the, of them are quite sharp enough to i think really qualify as bits it's more like mm-hmm scene ideas um it feels very off-broadway college theater rehearsal yeah yeah and there's not a lot of connective tissue between these sort of vignettes um but it's it's fine i don't know i honestly like unless you're into a very specific time period and type of movie i think most people are probably going to be pretty bored by this i actually was looking at the runtime and it's only an hour and a half mm-hmm. <laughs> uh uh and i thought it was much longer when i was watching it um yeah yeah it, it's fine I, it's not like offensively bad or anything it's just to me pretty milk toast mm-hmm. like i think you're gonna you can get a lot of the same stuff out of other movies, but sort of better. Yeah, especially from this time period. I think you there's, you know, that if you're into that like '90s slacker thing, and or the uh, like Gen X type of thing, um, which I mean, there was a period of time when that was our fucking bag. It still kind of is mine. So I mean, I have a, <laughs> I, I, I have an affinity. <laughs> for uh, for this thing, so I can I like my tolerance level to the movie's bullshit is probably higher than others. Um, yeah, I mean, I I got a little nostalgic too. Like it, you know, it made yeah. me think of uh, watching movies in a basement with you or something. But sure, I guess I I just didn't. And I like I, I kind of like smart smart alecky dialogue and that kind of stuff. Even when it's so writerly, it's like eye rolling. Um, yeah, and this and I think that is definitely the case here. And. I, th- I didn't think most of it was particularly clever or funny either. Certainly not as clever as I thought it was. No, it, it's 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 almost a film that feels like it was written by the characters of the film. Yeah, yeah. Which I <laughs> guess that there's I so guess there's, that's there's a success. In, well, there's a li- the, the, I guess what I'm saying is there's a little kind of uh, lack of self awareness oh, as totally. far as that goes. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. This is pretty. If it was. If it was more prestigious, it would run dangerously close of being uh, way too pretentious. Yeah, which is not something that um, Noah Baumbach has never heard before in his career. Um, sure, yeah. But I, 
I think when you you know you go along and you see the progression of his work, and he's had highs and lows. There's some of his movies I love, and there's some of his movies I fucking hate. Um, <laughs> uh, Margot at the wedding is like I think almost unwatchably bad, um, and uh, I, I wasn't a huge fan of We Were Young. I thought that was like okay, Boomer the movie, <laughs> um, but uh, you know. The Squid and the Whale, Greenberg, Francis Ha are like some of my favorite movies. So I thought you were pretty lukewarm on Squid and the Whale. Oh no, I love Squid and the Whale. That was like how I got into his stuff. I feel like your opinion on Squid and the Whale has changed. Then I don't. I don't believe that to be true. <laughs> and that was like what gonna... first like that's how I like was like formally introduced to to uh, Jesse Eisenberg and. All sorts of stuff. But, yeah, so I I give this movie, like, I mean, I, I could, we're not really, we don't usually do grades for, for Netflix homework, but it, it's kind of a C-plus-ish. Oh, for me, it's a C-minus. Like, I, 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 if I'm giving it higher than that, it's because I know he can, he goes on to make better movies. But, mm-hmm. like, if I wasn't familiar with the director and... I wouldn't give a shit about this movie, to be honest. It's yeah. it's average to sometimes bad. Yeah, yeah I would say that's accurate. Um, and uh, if you if you mean if you like this, I would say you know certainly go back and watch Whit Stillman's like Metropolitan or or Barcelona or something like that because I think it sort of pulls part- off what he's going for. Yeah, uh, a lot I guess better. It um, was fine. I just so didn't care about this movie. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so uh, with that said, what's next week's homework? Um, it's it's <laughs> funny. We're we're going Noam bomb back to back. Uh, mm-hmm. I wanted to get on the marriage story train while it's still relevant. So yeah, um, I figured you know uh, we we just watched his first movie, so let's let's uh, let's watch his most recent movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, in the next episode, you can look forward to us talking about Adam Driver yelling. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about it. Um, uh, yeah. and I'm, I'm certain that's why, uh, kicking and screaming ended up on the queue in the first place. I, I was not aware that marriage story was going to be a Netflix original. I thought it was, I thought it was just a theater release cause it was released on theater a few weeks before they put it on Netflix. So I'd been hearing about it anyway. Um, so yeah, we'll be doing that. Uh, if cool. anybody has any opinions about any of the movies or things we talked about on this episode, please, uh, send us your, um, feedback over at, uh, at gmail.com. We can read it on air. If you want to record a voicemail, um, and send it as a WAV file or an MP3, we can just, uh, insert it into the episode as well. We've done that before. Um, and if, uh, you're not following us already on social media, you should be doing that at MacGuffin pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, like I said before, we are, um, on Facebook. We have a Facebook group at facebook.com slash MacGuffin pod, where we post our episodes of the news stories that we talk about sometimes and, uh, survey questions to our listeners. Also, we are streamable on all of the things. So if you want to leave us a review and uh, a five-star rating on uh, Stitcher Radio or on iTunes, we would very much appreciate that. And you can follow me individually at VC Cassidy. And uh, what else? 
I think I think that's it. What's what's your stuff? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Keith Foster Kid. You can also follow my art account uh, at Sticky Note Aesthetic. Um, mm-hmm. That's pretty much it for now. And that's Instagram, right? Yes, that's Instagram. Insta, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and uh, I think that is going to be the episode this week. I suspect foul play. I have eliminated no suspects.